Oh, snap. Episode two. Yeah, I just gave my age away. Snap was probably not the best word to use. I apologize. Uh, so, what's up, everybody? It's uh, Monday. Today's date, according to my uh, pull down on my phone, because I don't pay attention to stuff like that, is May the 10th. And uh, episode two, we're here. We're ready to do it. Uh, 45 minutes. Let's go. So, um, today's episode, I am going to title Solitary Confinement. And um, the reason behind that is because there's not enough of like an impartial look as to the depths of despair that loneliness and, and, and segregation and, and separation um, have, you know, the effects that those things have on the human body and, and how terrible those things are. And we just, we just went through it. Now, let me explain. I work outdoors my day to day. Uh, I'm a contractor and I work a lot outside and, and I work alone. I don't have any employees. I'm self-employed and, uh, I just bust out these projects, you know, one man army style. But, uh, I do from the outside looking in, see what taking people's normal day-to-day routines out of their lives and then forcing them into seclusion, what that has done. I mean, I don't want to repeat talking points because that's not what this podcast is about, but the statistics do show that there's a rise in uh, people taking their own lives. There's a rise in attempts. There's a rise in, uh, you know, you'll have family members that you just won't even hear from who you used to hear from all the time, but it's so normalized now to just be solo dolo and not associate with even your own family members, people that love you and care about you and need to hear your voice. And those phone calls tapered off. There's a, there's a lot of issues there. And so I wanted to talk about that because, uh, in this day and age, when you commit a crime, you if you're proven to have committed that crime and you, you're proven uh, you know, guilty in a court of law, you're sentenced to time in prison, time in jail, uh, rightfully so. And hopefully you got a good judge and that judge gave you a sentence that was fair and balanced and was according to the crime that you committed, that they proved that you committed and you're not wrongfully accused. Let's say you go through that whole spiel and everything works out in your favor to lock your ass up because you're a piece of shit. Okay. Once you're in prison, you're already, you know, up shit's creek. You're sharing a cell. Um, I had a little bit of an experience with getting locked up for a period of time. It was only, you know, about a month, but whatever. And, um, in that time, I was in a block, so I wasn't necessarily sharing a cell with one person. I was in a block with cots, and there were six cots, and each cot had two people in our block. So there was like 12 people that I associated with. It was pretty much like Club Med, in a sense, to where we still had social activities in and amongst ourselves. 
when we went out to rec, we would play ball. We would do the things that any normal person would do. You just really were separated from the freedom to be able to do whatever you wanted and travel where you wanted and visit loved ones and friends uh, whenever you wanted. You couldn't just get in a car and go. You didn't have like comfortability. But I'll be completely honest with you, in my experience, from a social standpoint, I had 11 other people at arm's length that I could just shoot shit with. We would do, you know, setups with ramen noodle and sit around and eat each other's candy bars that we paid $5 for and all kinds of crazy shit. But, you know, real hardened criminals, when they're, you know, any, any criminal when you're in prison, if you're managed to make your way in there and you get locked up, uh, if you get into trouble while you are in prison, what generally happens? You hear about it all the time on, you know, cable news stories and uh, those uh, judges shows like Judge Judy and, and Judge Mathis and uh, all this other stuff. I'm just kidding. Those are civil courts. That wasn't a funny joke. Scratch that from the record. But when you get locked up, if you do something stupid when you're in prison, you get sent to solitary confinement. You get split up from the rest of the population made up of assholes and criminals. So it's like you did something bad. You're already in jail. What we're going to do is take you away from the rest of the prisoners and put you in a, in a place by yourself. So you, let's say you've been in prison for a while. You've become accustomed. That's your atmosphere. Just like any other normal day out here in the streets. You, that's your life now. Okay. Your punishment for committing a crime while serving a punishment for committing a crime is to make you not be able to associate with your immediate, the people in your immediate surroundings and not be able to go through your normal day-to-day routine, even in prison. So, I was just hanging around by myself and reading statistics and articles about the detrimental effects that isolation and um, separation has on, you know, human psychology. And uh, there's a lot of mixed information out there because I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that can handle it to a certain extent. Like I said, I myself, I work alone. I choose to work alone. Because I have the need to be able to kick, yell, and scream at inanimate objects without other people looking at me like I'm fucking crazy. Uh, I like to throw two-by-fours. I like to curse at my tools. I like to talk shit about people behind their backs without other people there to rat me out to them. So I enjoy working alone. 
I enjoy being alone, but there's levels to everything, and not everybody is like me. Let me explain. Some people like to be around other people all the time. They absolutely cannot get through the day without socializing with at least five to ten people. These are the people that are addicted to social media, they're on Facebook, they're uh, engaging on a regular basis all the time, constantly engaging with other humanoids on this planet. There's some people that enjoy a nice healthy balance. Maybe they like to, you know, hang out here and there, shoot the shit, but, you know, once they get to the party and they've made their rounds, there's a part of them that absolutely cannot wait to get home. Uh, so there's people there that, you know, they do. They enjoy hanging out, but enough is enough and they're ready to get the hell out of there. And that's healthy for them. They still lead a nice, healthy lifestyle. Uh, they're not crazy shooting up schools and doing stupid shit like that. They just like to be alone sometimes. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes you have to disconnect. I think I fall into that category. I love my friends and I love my family, but I also equally love my alone time. I can definitely wrap my head around being in a position of not having to fuck with people and not have people fuck with me. There's something very Zen-like about it. Again, I work alone. I choose to do so for a reason. Now, the third category are, those are the scary ones. Those are the Columbine kids. Those are the ones that are socially awkward, so they just decide that they're just going to not rap with people. They're going to do their own thing. Or they're in very, very small groups of like-minded individuals. And they all consider each other and themselves outcasts. So they're like, why even bother? Um, those people, it, there's an argument there whether or not they enjoy a life of solitude. Even though they choose one. There's a lot of hard conversations that are out there that people don't want to have that they avoid. And in doing so, they alienate themselves. And they claim that they enjoy being alone. But the science is not there on that. The science says that we are social creatures. And there has to be some level of intermingling and attachment we're just hardwired for that and that is brings me to the, the the sum of it all the powers that be know that we are wired that way they know that the vast majority of us need social interaction we need to hang out with each other and get things off of our chest and love and give each other hugs and enjoy each other's company and laugh and smile. You know, things things that if you're in a solitude containment unit or one of those, um, what are those, those tanks that Joe Rogan loves to lay in, 
uh, where you're just floating it's sensory deprivation, right? That's a, that's a good thing to do. But even he'll tell you if you stay in there too long, you'll go batshit crazy. The, the people on this planet need each other. That's one huge common denominator that I think that we all forget. But the powers that be know that that exists. They know that the science is there and that we're hardwired for that. And that is why in prison they use solitary confinement as an extra level of punishment when you do wrong. Think about that for a second and then think about how quickly and how how much forced isolation that they put on all of us due to this pandemic. Now the pandemic, I want everybody to know, I believe in the pandemic. I believe that it was pretty bad for a lot of people. Was it bad enough to do what was done in the rules that were passed and the things that we, the rights that were taken away from us and the businesses that were shut down? That's an argument for a different podcast. I'm not going to get into it right now. That's also a conversation that's not uh, just me talking that I feel like that's a conversation that needs to be had because I like tough conversations so I feel like I need to be on this podcast with somebody with an opposite viewpoint of mine or somebody who has the ability to um, who has the ability for me to be able to play devil's advocate without getting pissed off at me and not calling me for months at a time so uh, anyway I'm I'm a strong believer that the fact that they knew the science, everybody knows the science on this. Okay, they passed some rules that maybe were helpful to a small, very, very small percentage of us. But they did so, so quickly and so easily. It was just like nothing. It was just like, you guys can't do this. And that's that. Because of this pandemic and then you caught you know then several of them were caught red-handed going against their own grain it's there's a lot of theater involved and a lot of politicization involved but at the end of the day the core of what bothers me about the whole thing was just how easily they told us all that we had to stay away from each other. My father passed away last year in April. Um, you know, rest in peace. God bless the man. He was amazing. But he was Canadian. And because of these draconian measures that were so easily passed on us via this pandemic, I haven't been able to lay my father to rest in Canada where he wants to be laid to rest. So it's something that really touches home. Like my family have to be isolated from each other and I'm not free to roam over an imaginary line with my family for us to be together to put closure to the death of the patriarch of our family. That's huge. And to me, that feels like punishment. 
and I'm not 100% sure if we've done anything to deserve being punished or if the pandemic and its death rate is worth punishing so many in the protection of so little. I'm just not sure about that and you can hate me if you want to. But I'm wearing my mask and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and I'm not anti-vax. But at the same time, I'm riding that line like so many other people because I don't imagine seeing a squirrel or a deer or a bear end up with some type of a disease and some other creature of equal stature say to that bear, you cannot hunt, you cannot fish, you cannot socialize. The natural world would never do that. It's just us and our leaders. And I have a slight problem with that. I'm not going to lie. So, um, just to get down to the statistics here, um, I don't have any hard numbers, but I will tell you this, and this is um, from the NIA and NIH.gov website. Health effects of social isolation and loneliness. Research has linked social isolation and loneliness to higher risks for a variety of physical and mental conditions. High blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, a weakened immune system, anxiety, depression, cognitive decline, Alzheimer's diseases, and even death. And it is pluralized Alzheimer's diseases, and I think that's because of the many levels of Alzheimer's. Some people got it bad and some people don't. So yeah, there you go, guys. That's from uh, our government's health website. They know that it sucks for us and they just seemingly are very easy and very quick to throw us in solitary confinement over some shit we didn't do. Okay, I went a little over on that and I'm apologizing ahead of time. So let's get to our three main, our our purpose for the whole podcast, guns, golf, and government. Okay, so. I'm going to make this one, uh, the, the, the four stupid rules of golf is going to, not going to take too long. So let's go ahead and get that out of the way. I know it's kind of out of order, but who cares? It's my podcast. I'll do whatever the fuck I want. So, um, four stupid rules in golf. These are actual rules in golf. If you play golf, then you'll, you will be right there with me on these. I'm sure. So, um, this is in order of, of my the ones that really f- grind my gears. All right. Uh, so number one, the, the rule that there is no relief from a sand filled divot. So you crank one down the fairway. You've been shanking shit all day. You've been cutting across it and sending it right or left. You've been pulling it into trees. You have been fucking up for the first like four holes and you're on hole five right now. And you fucking finally pipe one. And it's a gem. It's like 265, 270, right down the middle. And it's your favorite club is an 8-iron. And it's leaving you an 8-iron in. And you're freaking pumped. Because you know you're going to flush that iron shot. It's the driver that gives you trouble. Well, 
Congratulations. Your ball just landed in a sand-filled divot from somebody who uses their 8-iron as well, but does so like a fucking... Like they're digging for conflict diamonds, and they filled it with sand, and you might as well be in a fucking bunker. Congratulations! You cannot move your ball off of that spot. Are you fucking serious? That rule right there is probably the one that really like, oh, it gets me, it gets me real bad. Uh, there's, there's one other rule that is equally as bad for me. And I will, we'll just put that one next, but it does kind of go in line because it does have a little bit to do with, uh, with sand. But, um, yeah, so you hit it in the sand because your ball was in a sand-filled divot and you hit an 8-iron and a little bit of sand got between the face and that translated into you pushing it off to the right just a hair and coming up a little short of the green and now you've landed in a bunker. Under normal circumstances, you love your sand wedge and you're not worried about that bunker until you walk up on it and your ball is in a footprint. Folks, I can't tell you there's nothing else on this planet that makes me want to fight people more than watching them hit it in the bunker, then hit it out of the bunker, and not rake the bunker. <sighs> I just want to punch you right in the fucking throat when you do that. But I'm 300 yards away, and I can't get to you fast enough. But know that if I'm behind you, and you're that guy, I really want to kick you in your fucking ball sack. But this is true. This is a real rule. If you hit your ball into the bunker and your ball lands into somebody's footprint because they decided not to rake, you don't get to move your ball. Congratulations. Somebody else that you've never met before has laid a hand on your mental well-being during your round of golf with your buddies. Some fucked up shit. Uh, so here's another one. Um, if you, let's say you're just a hair off of the green. You're in the fringe. The fringe is well cut. You just knocked it out of that. You knocked a sweet ass shot out of that guy's footprint. It was a fucking miracle. But you're on the fringe now. The hole is... It's only like an eight-foot putt just off the green. There's no point to chip it. You can putt it. But there's a sprinkler head right in your path for your putt. Hate to say it, but you're not allowed to move your ball. You get no fucking relief. It's a wrap. You got to putt through that sprinkler head. Sucks to be you. Me personally, I have enough secure... I'm secure enough in my manhood and in my chipping game that I would just open up my sand wedge and uh, aim way left and just flex that motherfucker up and over. Some people don't have that ability. And so, 
they will have to putt through that sprinkler head, hope for the best. And I know I just described possibly the worst golf hole for any human being. Some people have days like that. I know I have. And the last rule that I find completely fucked up is the whole ball drop. When you've hit out of bounds or in the water and you got to drop your ball, you're getting relief off of something, you're getting your club or two club length, you got to drop your ball. If you drop the ball and the ball rolls twice toward the hole, then and only then can you place your ball. Now, you've put a T in the ground to mark where the rules official said the impact of the ball should should bounce from somewhere in that general area. You drop the ball. Twice, it bounces toward the hole. Twice, you get to place it on that mark. Does anybody find a problem with this? Why the fuck can't we just place it to begin with? Are you really trying to mimic the amount of pressure that the ball touches the ground on by allowing us to drop it from our knees when some ball flights are 100 plus feet in the fucking air? Are you serious? I really think the USGA needs to rethink some of these. So that's our golf segment. And now let's talk about guns real quick. Got a few minutes to talk about my other favorite pastime, the pew pew life. Uh, So the importance of firearms, the view of U.S. policy on arms by other country and why being scary is a good thing. This this podcast, this portion of the podcast, the vast majority of this podcast is all opinion, by the way. If you don't like my opinion, you don't have to listen. Suck off. But let's talk about this for a second. I was involved in the breakdance community for a very long time. And if you people don't recognize... Oh, sorry. Let me, let me retract the breakdance statement. I'm only trying to work in layman's terms here. The proper jargon would be breaking. Let's be real here. Uh, you're b-boying or you're breaking. But um, when I was in that community, I was, I was thoroughly blessed and loved how much international friendship and camaraderie came based off of being involved in that community. I have a lot of friends all over the world. And I've had numerous conversations with those same friends at different events and things around the country and, you know, around the world as well about what it's like in their country as it pertains to guns and how they feel about our country. And this is firsthand experience, folks. This isn't people that don't have these conversations with other people from other countries. The, the I have a very vast array of different types of people that I consider friends and a large majority of them have never been out of the country. Some of them never even out of their home state 
and they have opinions on guns and and our country and how awesome it is or isn't and yet have never had a conversation with somebody that can give them an actual real firsthand um point of view that's contradictory to to their own uh, i'm not that guy i've had a lot of conversations my mom's puerto rican my dad's french i was involved in the hip hop community on an international level for a period of time long enough to be able to have conversations with people and let me tell you something people have a balanced view most people in the media would tell you that all the other countries in the world think that we're crazy no they think our government's crazy they think that the actions taken by the powers that be in this country against other countries and our undying need to be the police of the planet, they think that's crazy. But the day in and day out law-abiding citizen owning a firearm, they generally, 90% of the people I've talked to from other countries don't have a problem with that. In fact, some of them wish that they had that right. The reason why, nine times out of ten, outside of self-protection, because, you know, it would be nice to be able to save your own life and have that great equalizer. But the vast majority of it is because it's because of a safer country. Not from each other, from other people. The vast majority of normal, everyday people, and we're talking about artistic people here. We're talking about people that are involved in the dance community. A large portion of them, in fact most, know and recognize that the reason why the United States has been so successful in getting rid of England and getting rid of slavery and keeping people out that may want to do us harm is because nobody wants to come here and attack here. And it's not because of our military. I assure you. People know that people here have guns. People know that, yes, our military is mighty. But if you get past them, you still have three, you know, 150 million guns or whatever it is that you have to contend with. And those people have a personal issue with you being on American soil. Because why else would anybody come here other than to take some type of control over our lands and our infrastructure and our goods and services? Why does why do you take over a country? Why do people do that? For domination to take over and to instill your belief system and your rules and regulations on that on that state pretty much pseudo enslaving the population but what if the population the vast majority of them have the ability to protect themselves what are you going to do then you going to fight everybody 
You would have to eradicate everybody and start from scratch. Now, if you nuke everybody and everybody's fucking dead and you've polluted the soil and polluted the air, the country's not worth shit anymore. What's the point in you coming here? It's what we as a people have to offer. That's why every other country has been invaded because of what what the victim has to offer the oppressor. But we're a free country. Still, I think. And we have the ability to protect ourselves. Nobody's coming over here because of that. And this is first-hand conversations with people that I've had in which those people don't have that right that we have. And some have had issues and do have governments that are highly oppressive. Breakdancing is going to be, or breaking, is going to be in the 2024 Olympics in France because of the amount of countries that represent that art form and that dance sport. We have B-boys and B-girls in every nook of the cranny on the planet. And just because you're not in the know doesn't mean that it's not so. And I've spoken with the vast majority of different ideals. And some people are like, you guys are pretty brutal over there in the United States. But the vast majority of those people are talking about our military, not about our people. They love the people. They love what we have provided, especially in that culture where breaking was invented here in the States. We, we gave that gift to the world and they appreciate us for it. And they understand that we're more than just a bunch of, you know, crazy people with guns. We know that they know that the, 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 the guns that we are allowed to keep are symbolization of safety. But nobody's going to tell you about that in the media. And you won't know about that because you don't have friends in international places that your relationship is close enough to have conversations with. Not deep ones like that anyway. But So anyway, moral of the story, there's some bad apples out there, 100%. I agree. But I would like to know that I can protect myself from that bad apple should it fall out of the tree and roll my way. Um, so yeah, probably not a good idea to keep people from being able to protect themselves and their families over a very small percentage of evil people. Maybe if you did a little more for the socio and economic issues and maybe focused a little more on your population's happiness and not so much on that almighty dollar, which is not that mighty anymore, you might get somewhere. Point of the moral of the story, sometimes it's good being scary. And when you got the great equalizer on your side and you're a responsible and well-trained individual, 
being scary is a benefit to everyone around you, not just yourself. Okay, so last and not least, it's guns, it's golf, it's government. Now, I say governments because I like to pluralize it. Because we're not only going to talk about the United States. This isn't a U.S. bashing podcast. We, uh, we love the U.S. We love our red, white, and blue. I'm not the patriotic guy that you're going to see on the side of the corner with a 10-foot flagpole shoved in a, a fishing pull harness, swinging that bitch like a madman. Um, but I come from a family started by immigrants. My grandfather, Dominican Republic, my dad here on a green card from Canada. And he was able to provide and they were both able to provide and able to start families and live free. And, uh, because of that, I am very patriotic. I come firsthand experience. I was able to talk to my grandpa before he passed in 1996 when I was in high school and learning about civics and learning about government and I would have that opportunity to chat with him in the early 90s and he would tell me crazy stories and my mom would tell me crazy stories. Um, so we're not here to bash the U.S. That's why it's government's and not government. But this story is a little bit about our government here. So, there's been a solid push for turning Washington, D.C. into a state. What would that do? Well, the residents, people who live within the city limits of Washington, D.C., uh, they're not allowed to vote. And, um, that is the subject that is being pushed as the reason for D.C. becoming a state. That would also provide more politicians in the House and in the Senate. But here's the thing. At one point, all of our business was done out of Philadelphia. You might not know it. Look it up. We did our business for a very long time out of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. And at some point in our history, people were like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. There's way too much power in Philadelphia from Philadelphia going into this crazy, awesome United States experiment where we have all these different states and statehoods and government bodies coming together in Philadelphia to discuss matters that were important and based around this wonderful country of ours. And we were doing this in Philadelphia where it's Pennsylvania. It's, it, it is in itself a state. How can we be conducting all of our business in an impartial way from a state that existed in the Union? So D.C. was created to give a small patch of land 
And I believe some of the land, the actual land itself, was taken from Delaware and some was taken from Virginia and they kind of molded it all together. D.C. was originally created to give a small patch of land for everybody to meet on common ground and, uh, you know, like equal footing, like like when gangs would fight. If you wanted a fair, if you wanted a fair fight, you you went to uh, a, like co- a common area. Uh, it's escaping me now the term, but you went to a place where uh, everybody had it, it was equal, equal. Pl- everybody was on an equal plateau. You, you, there was no way for anybody to surprise anybody else or anything like that. You weren't going into somebody else's territory. Um, it's like the DNZ, you know what I mean? The demilitarization zone. Uh, that's what DC was supposed to be. That was supposed to be, uh, equal ground where there wasn't, nobody had a leg up on anybody else and you just went there and you conducted business. Now people needed to have places to go when they were in D.C. Because in D.C., you were supposed to go to D.C., you were supposed to handle your business, you were supposed to go home and be with the people from your state so that you could learn their needs and wants and have a personal connection with those people. And then you would take that personal connection and those needs and wants back to D.C. to talk to the powers that be to try to make a more fair and balanced union throughout the country. So, for D.C. to become a state, that doesn't work. There are people that are residents of D.C. People people live there full time. Politicians were not meant to. But there are people that do. And those are the people that have to take care of the roads and, you know, feed our politicians when they are in town. Now that morphed into something greater throughout the throughout the process of growing this country and turning it into what it is today. But originally the citizens that lived in DC were there to keep DC clean and open and functional and fed. And more people moved to DC and more people moved to DC the population got bigger as the buildings got bigger and the infrastructure got bigger and there were more politicians and more lobbyists and just more people doing business in D.C. It was a natural growth and a natural progression. So yes, now in the city limits of D.C., there are a lot of people that live there. And because of their residence, they're not allowed to vote. But that's there's a reason for that. D.C. is supposed to be fair game. D.C. is supposed to be where our politicians that we elect on a local level go to the people that are supposed to be managing the U.S. government and managing this great country of ours. And and they're supposed to be able to go there and say, hey, this is what our people want. Our elected officials from on a local level here in, in the states in which we reside are supposed to be lobbyists for us. And they're supposed to lobby the federal government for us. 
and for the things that we want. And there's a major disconnect going on there. And on top of that major disconnect, you want to make DC an entity instead of having it stay neutral. Nah, bro. That's not good for anybody. And I feel like it's one of those things that if you were able to make it happen, would eventually bite you in the butt and bite everybody else in the butt too. You don't pour water on an oil fire. Bad for everybody. So, you know, I'm against D.C. becoming a state. That's really the only reason why, though. That's supposed to be our neutral ground for us to be able to have our state politicians that we elected duly to go and lobby the federal government in our favor without influence. So no to D.C. as a state. Sorry. If you know your history, there's a reason why D.C.'s never been a state. That's all the time. We've got 45 minutes, 20 seconds. We're running a little bit over, but that's okay. Let me know. Uh, Go to the Instagram, Guns, Golf, and Government. Uh, Send me a private message if you're not already following that Instagram page. Let me know what you want to hear from. I got some cool content coming up. Me and my buddy Adam, we're going to do a golf ball review for 90 you know, people that golf in, in the 90s on a regular basis, do golf balls really matter? Can you really feel like they say, quote unquote, it's got a good feel? I'm not a great golfer. I just love golf. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I got a damn good flop shot and I got witnesses to that shit. But I'm not, the, I'm not a fantastic golfer. I'm about eight digits away from single digits as far as my handicap goes. Um, But I will say, um, I can't tell the difference between golf balls. But Adam is going to, Adam, my buddy Adam, 100% thinks that if we did like, if we were able to do a blind taste test with golf balls, that he would be able to prove to me that I like one better than the other. And that premium golf balls are better for high handicap golfers. We'll see. That's one of the shows that we've got planned. And I think that's probably going to be our very first video podcast episode. But as of right now, episode three, stay tuned for that. I don't have a schedule for these. I just bust off at the mouth when I've got time. So you're just going to have to keep an eye out on the socials. But episode three. We are actually going to be talking about breaking and breakdancing in the Olympics. The pros and the cons and how to evolve the dance into a dance sport, but keep the artistry. That's uh, that's going to be a good one. Uh, the guns topic next episode, buybacks and confiscation. Will it actually happen? I honestly don't think so. And I don't think the reasons why you think I don't think so. I don't, I'm not sure if you're up on that. So I'm going to tell you why. Because it's it's a different take. The uh, 
the golf topic. Is DeChambeau proving the old-timers right? That accuracy is the most important thing. Uh, we're going to analyze what DeChambeau's been doing and uh, where he's at statistically on accuracy, fairways. And uh, is the length dissecting? He had he made some comments about Augusta National. Augusta National kicked him in his fucking ball sack. So, uh, yeah. And then um, the, our government section next week will be the push for the 1619 Project being taught in schools. Buffalo, New York is already making a part of the curriculum and some other places as well. So do your due diligence and look up some shit on the 1619 Project between now and uh, episode three. Uh, I'll be honest with you, being here first doesn't mean shit. 1619 Project would like to make you think that it does. But this country didn't become this country until the paperwork and great minds came together. Whether they were racists and whether they were slave owners or not. You can have somebody have a really bad idea and also have good ideas, okay? Just because there might be some bullshit that they did when you know, this country first started doesn't mean that the things that they started and put into place did not make for a fantastic union. And uh, I'll let you know my take on that as well. I'm over like five minutes now. I got to get out of here. Fucking love all of you people. Thank you so much for listening. Every last one of you. See what I did there? Peace and love. And, uh, you know, we'll talk soon. Holla at me on the socials. Guns, golf, and government on Instagram. That's all I got. Later.